This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Bad news for Ontario. Moody's, uh, Moody's Investor Service has changed its outlook on Ontario's ratings from stable to negative. Uh, this is due to the Liberal government's most recent budget. What does this mean, uh, not only for the province, but also heading into an election? Let's bring in Alan Carter, the, of course, uh, Global News anchor and Queen's Park Bureau chief. He is with us now. Alan, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Well, I appreciate being asked. Thanks for having me on. Uh, what about the timing here? What does this do for the Liberals? Well, it's not great news. Um, it doesn't change anything in, in terms of interest payments. It's an outlook. It's not a downgrade. Uh, the two things are different, and the Premier was keen to point that out when she was asked about it this morning. Uh, what it is, however, is it's an indication that uh, Moody's, which is a credit agency, uh, believes that the return to deficit spending in Ontario uh, is going to put added pressures on the government and that they will have to look for other tax revenues. And basically what they're saying is they're putting uh, the government on notice that depending on what happens in the election, if the Liberals carry through with their plan, it is possible that we could see a future downgrade. And a downgrade actually has big consequences because that means we pay more in interest. So talk about what the significance of this outlook is and the difference between that and a downgrade, because we don't want to we don't want to confuse that. So the outlook is basically like a forecast. The outlook is the credit agency saying, look, we've looked at the budget. We don't like the return to deficit spending. We don't like the projections of rather robust growth and not a lot of wiggle room for unexpected economic shocks. That's precisely what they said in their release this morning or late yesterday, rather. And and so when they look at all of that, they say, on balance, we're trending towards thinking we might downgrade. If they actually go ahead and downgrade, that's a big deal because what that means is it costs our interest, our interest costs go up. So it would be essentially like your credit card company. Like if you imagine you had to submit a budget to your credit card company every year and then the credit card company would look at it and go, you know what? I don't think you got it. I don't Mm -hmm. think you got the cash. So therefore, we're going to charge you more interest on the money you owe us. And that's essentially what has happened here. The, the change hasn't happened, but there's an indication here from Moody's that it may change the, the credit rating. It, do they allude that uh, they're going to wait and see until after the election and see how it all shakes down? Essentially, yes. That's uh, essentially what, if you read between the lines, is what happens after the election and, and what actually is, is put in play. They're not going to downgrade here on... Um, the assumption budget, of something, yeah. A, a budget document that, you know, seriously could be tossed out the window as of June 7th. And obviously the polls would indicate that it is going to get chucked out. So they're alluding to uh, a change in government may change the outlook. They don't go so far as to say that because that would be seen as, um, you know, meddling in Democratic... Incredibly political. biased, Alan? <laughs> well, I, it would be more as they would open themselves up for... yeah criticism that they were trying to influence the the election. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I mean, the, the conservatives are shouting this from the rooftops right now, you know, trying to say, well, this is, you know, this is the financial world not having confidence in Kathleen Wynne. I think I think the reality check we have to have here is we have no cost and platform from the progressive conservatives. Right. Remember that under the previous administration, Patrick Brown, they too were planning to run a deficit at least in the first year. So 
what what precisely is Doug Ford going to do? Is he going to actually balance the books? We don't know. Uh, how much is the uh, how much is the thought? And, and obviously, I think most are expecting the the Bank of Canada said this today that be you know be on guard. Higher interest rates are coming. How much of this has to do with that? That's a different. Um, that that's completely different. That is the benchmark uh, key lending rate, um, and I I. You know, I, I don't want to overstate my financial knowledge here, but my understanding is that that has little to that has little impact on the overall debt that Ontario. No, pays. but what I'm saying is that if interest rates rise, it obviously makes it more difficult for Ontario to pay for it. Yeah, but I don't believe that that necessarily impacts all of Ontario because Ontario's debt is long longer long term and it's set rates, correct? And yeah. it's set rates yeah. and it's. And, and and the rates are 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 not the same rates that you and I pay mm-hmm. when we're going to get a mortgage. It's, it, the two things are not related. How are the liberals reacting to this? Well, the premier is saying today, pointing out that this is not a uh, downgrade. As I said, that that it's an important distinction between the two. It's not a downgrade. It's just a an outlook change. They've had outlook changes before. They've gone down and they've gone back up. And it's true that has happened. Um, however, she defends her budget as being absolutely required that this kind of spending and investment in these social programs that the liberals are promising, uh, everything from free daycare to uh, free pharmacare for those under 25 and over 65, that those are the things that, uh, that the province needs and, and that they're willing to go into deficit for it. So, in other words, they, it doesn't seem to, uh, you know, obviously these things can change, and she alluded to that, and, and this is not a downgrade, this is just a projection at this point, but it's also projection and a projection under the guise of this new budget. Unless she changes her path, we're heading in this direction. Has she alluded to that in any way? Well, certainly she reacts to it, um, but it, there's a difference between... Uh, and. and and this is where the wiggle room is for the politicians on this, and, and all politicians do this, is, is that a change in outlook, they say, well, that's just a change in outlook. I mean, come talk to me when they change the, the actual grading. So she doesn't really address that, other than to say that it's only a change in outlook. Don't, it doesn't cost us any more. Uh, and again, timing irrelevant here, just uh, the way it works out, because again, if this had ha- you know, again, we've got a projection heading into an election. <clears throat> Pardon me. The timing is tied to the budget, uh, not tied to the election. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and you could say, well, the budget timing, the way the liberals crafted the budget and when they released it and all the rest of it is tied to the election. And that is true. But the reaction from the credit agencies is tied to the budget, not to election time. Hmm. Uh, Ford uh, issued a press release. Doug Ford Camp issued a press release the other day saying that they were going to uh, have a complete audit of all of this if they uh, if they are in power. Uh, how is that resonating? And is this just typical political pandering? We hear this all the time after an election. When if another party gets in, they're oh my goodness, the books were way worse than I thought they were. Uh, what can you tell us about this audit? Well, what has come out of yesterday's announcement about the audit is actually something different than that. The headline really now is that Mr. Ford, in announcing this audit, sort of shaded towards, 
Well, he's opened himself up to a comparison about threatening to put his political opponents in jail mm. because he said, quote, unquote, yeah. if Kathleen Wynne tried to pull these kinds of shady tricks in private life, then there would be a few more liberals joining David Livingston in jail. Mr. Livingston is the former chief of staff to Dalton McGinty, who was sentenced to four months in jail for his role in the deletion of data surrounding the gas plant. Mm-hmm. And in response to that, Wynne fired a broadside this morning, again, uh, relating Mr. Ford to Mr. Trump. And we're going to see a lot more of that. And and I think that the, these back and forths between Ford and Wynne are going to take a lot of the oxygen. And, and it's going to be very odd here in Ontario for the next little while, because you will think in some ways that Donald Trump is on the ticket hmm. in some way, because there will be so much Trump talk, especially from the liberals. I've asked Doug Ford about this and how he expects to combat, and he's very quick to point out that he's nothing uh, like uh, Donald Trump, uh, other than uh, I guess they were both businessmen. Uh, is is this this? How do you think this is going to resonate with Ontarians? Which, in particular, if you don't mind, the fact that the fact that the the Liberals are going to try to make uh, Doug Ford look like Donald Trump. I think it's their best chance, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I. I, I don't. I, I think it's a major fault line. You know, I. I, I sometimes thought, you know, there's, there's people in your life that you use as barometers for politics, and for me, it's my dad. Um, and and he is a. You know, he, he, I grew up in Burlington. He's been in Burlington his whole life. He's a, remember, Burlington is a very conservative. Uh, has traditionally been PC in 2014, mm-hmm. surprisingly went liberal, and likely will return to PC again. But he expresses what I think a lot of conservatives, a lot of traditional PC party members are wondering, is how much like Trump is Mr. Ford? And do we want the kind of circus and the kind of instability that comes along with a Trump-like character? And I think that the jury is out on that. And I think that over that is going to be the key play by the liberals over the next six weeks as we head into this election. And I, I'm not sure how much that will take hold, but I think it's the best shot the liberals have of at least denting Doug Ford's momentum. Uh, this story in regard to the outlook, does this last 24 hours or does this carry into an election? Uh, well, I think you probably know as well as I do that, you know, since I began talking to you a couple of minutes ago, the news agenda has changed three times. So <laughs> I'm I getting mean, e- as soon as you come on the air, I get email from both parties. Why does that happen? Oh, do you really? I'm not a word of a lie. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, the, my favorite thing in the world, Scott, is when over the course of a 24 hour period, I can be accused of being both a liberal shill and a PC dupe. Like when you get accused by both sides of being on each other's side, that that means you're doing your job right. Well, and another thing, and another thing we should also differentiate. And I try to do this to you guys all the time, and I'm just doing it, you know, because it's it's my job and it's the show. You guys are news people, and you are delivering both sides of the story. I'm a commentator. I have the freedom to comment on both either this way or that way. Of course. 
course, we try to be unbiased. We try to be unfair. But you're held to a, you're held to a little, no, a lot higher standard than what I am. And I, I appreciate your patience as I try to pull you in a direction that you never want to go in. <laughs> well, you know, you, you, get, you get used to it. And it's an interesting thing to do, this kind of political reporting, because, you know, I want to give you the insight and the analysis but do it in a way that is balanced and fair to both sides. But, you know, in in politics, all sides have their carefully crafted messages that have been through a war room and have been vetted. And our job as journalists is to try and peer past that. And every opportunity you get, elbow those politicians off of their rehearsed speaking lines and try and get to something closer to the truth. Alan Carter has been with us, and of course, watch Global News tonight to uh, catch Alan, and of course, he is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief as well. Alan, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We talked about this earlier on in the week, uh, that First Lady Barbara Bush was uh, not receiving any more medical treatment and, uh, of course, had uh, just decided uh, for comfort care. Two days after it was released uh, that she was in ailing health and had, had, choose, had, for, uh, sorry, had chosen to move forward with comfort care. To talk more about all of this, Andrew Oak is with us, author, speaker, and award-winning television producer, FirstLadiesMan.com. we got a clip here before we get started. We had a wonderful visit. She was strong, lucid. Uh, funny, uh, still. Funny. She and I were needling each other. And the <laughs> doctor came in, and she turned to the doctor and said, you want to know why George W. is the way he is? And the doctor looked somewhat surprised. She said, because I drank and smoked when I was pregnant with him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, of course, uh, George W. Uh, and his wife talking about the passing uh, of his mother. Let's bring in Andrew Oak, author, speaker, award-winning television producer, firstladiesman.com, of course, has done specials on this issue. Andrew, thanks for taking the time again. We appreciate this. No, I, I appreciate being back on with you. I don't think either of us uh, are surprised that I'm back on, but we didn't know that it would be this soon. But but what a wonderful clip you just played there, which which really just shows the spirit and light of this woman right up till the very end. You know, I, I wrote in a blog today, she would seem, she and I have no idea of this, just my perception, she would seem as comfortable uh, baking a pie or riding a lawn tractor as she would talking to a black tie event uh, in regard to raising money for cancer research. Well, you, you have it. You, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, and this is the, this is the reason for her broad appeal. And something that I've been thinking a lot about today, you know, 92 years with 73 years of marriage and everything that she's accomplished and being in the public eye for as long as she is, and you can't find anyone that'll say a bad thing about her. Hmm. That is an accomplishment of a hundred lifetimes, let alone one. It's, it's truly remarkable, the reputation she has and how many people are coming forward to speak so kindly about her. Are you surprised at the response to her passing? I, I, I really am not. You know, it's, it's just what you said. She could be baking a cake, riding a tractor, uh, uh, poking fun at herself, poking fun at, at her, her former president's son or, or, or her husband, always joking. I mean, the last few times we saw her publicly, she was ailing. We didn't know this. That's, that's no surprise because of the strong woman she was. And she was pushing her husband, also ailing, in a wheelchair. Mm. I, I mean, this is a remarkably strong woman, mentally, physically, and the effort that she put in with, with seemingly effortless abilities. She was not a big, hey, look at me kind of lady. She was not 
uh, after the spotlight or after accolades. She just very humbly, very effectively, and very gracefully did a lot of good things for a lot of people, and her legacy will far outlive her or me or you. It's sort of that old-fashioned get-her-done attitude, isn't it? It really is. You know, she's part of the what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. When she started dating George H.W. Bush, uh, he was a soldier. He was one of the youngest pilots uh, in World War II. I mean, these were people that just got the job done because it needed to get done, and they did it without fanfare or without great pomp and circumstance. And these are the kind of people you want on your side. And this is why there aren't people that are, are saying bad things about her or haven't said any bad things about her over the years. You know, another thing that, that, that struck me is, is, is sort of falling in line with that clip that you played at the top. When, when Barbara Bush was asked about her image and saying that people didn't think she was, you know, one of the more attractive first ladies, she said she was a fine-looking woman. She just didn't dress very well. I, I mean, <laughs> she knew what her limitations were. She knew where she was effective, and she knew how to get a job done. And, and in family interviews uh, of recent years, where all, the, all the, the family would be around the table and kind of getting teary-eyed and misty over reminiscing and this, and she'd say, oh, pull it together, everyone. Come on, pull, it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. She really was, a, she really was as her uh, son George W. called her, the enforcer. She ran that family. Hmm. Uh, I had heard that her husband was, uh, even though he's obviously in ill health, he was by her side for these last uh, few days and moments and, and was holding her hand the entire time uh, during those last moments. We know he has health issues. How, how do you think he's going to handle all this? Well, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm far from a doctor, but I do know that there's, there's a reason why these people lived into their 90s. There's a reason why he was one of the youngest Navy pilots, uh, uh, bomber fighter. There's a reason why their family has, has lasted in the public eye as long as they have, and the reason why they've held offices and CIA and, and, and foreign assignments and everything else with Barbara Bush right there along with him. I mean, you know, it could obviously go either way. I hate to even speculate, but I think with a family that strong who has persevered so many ups and downs and so many years in the public eye, I, I think he'll do just fine because he's got such a fantastic support group. Uh, keep in mind, you know, the Bushes lost their first daughter, Robin, yeah. uh, at a very early age. It's, it's either the, the second or third child that the Bushes had together, and this young girl died uh, just before she was four. And the Bushes were told, this one's just not going to make it. You know, it's best to probably go home and, and let her pass on and, and have the time that you have with her. But the Bushes didn't take that for an answer. They, they sought treatment, even though there was less medical treatment for leukemia, childhood leukemia, uh, back then than there is now. But they took her to all the places they could and got as much out of uh, the research and the treatment as they could to, to spend as much time with their daughter. They're, 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 they're just not a take-no-for-an-answer kind of kind of family, and I, I think that will help all of them moving forward with this. Talk a little bit, uh, talk a little, a little bit, Andrew, about her politics. Uh, again, we've described her, what she's like, uh, salt of the earth, um, you know, one of those just-get-her-done kind of people, but she was very progressive. Uh, I understand in her autobiography, uh, she said that she did speak out uh, to her husband about legal abortion and opposed the sale of assault weapons, which are pretty progressive um, pretty progressive positions, considering who she was in her age. Absolutely. Uh, she, she very often disagreed with her husband. And Barbara Bush and President H.W. Bush come from an almost 
lost area era of bipartisan politics where people actually did discuss things and compromise for the greater good. Uh, politicking was more of a skill as opposed to a, a yelling match or just standing your ground. They knew what compromise meant. And, and when Barbara Bush, who loved to entertain, uh, loved to have parties, uh, she, would have, she didn't care what political party you were from. She took a page out of the old Dolly Madison playbook and invited both sides of the aisle to all kinds of social engagement, engagements and knew that once everyone's guard was down and the gloves were off and people could talk as human beings, we were more alike than different anyway, and that's how you get compromise done. But you're absolutely right. A lot of her positions did not line in with her husband's thinking or her husband's uh, party politics or anything along those lines. But she was a she spoke her mind. If, if she felt it, she said it. And if she said it, she meant it. And she was uh, uh, she could joke around with the best of them. But when she meant business, she meant business. Americans obviously processing this, uh, looking at the past times that have been and then obviously at the present. Uh, did, was it any more stable then than it is now? Does it? What do you think the Bushes would be saying about what's happening now in the White House? Well, well you, you know, Mrs. Bush was, was, was very vocal on the campaign trail. I thought something was very interesting during the C-SPAN series that I produced. Mrs. Bush sat down and, and interviewed with us, and she said, I would think that Americans can find someone with a different last name, someone other than Bush, yeah. other than Clinton. You know, she... She knew that the resources were going to have to come from another pool and another another uh, 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 stable of, of of young politicians. But but when her son needed her and when her son jumped in, uh, she stood up to his character because she believed in him and and, and knew that that he would do the the best job that he could. So she's always a mother. She's always stepping in to to uh, defend the family, to support the family, to campaign for the family. But she did know that things needed to move in a different direction and was actually, you know, in, in my opinion, calling out to Americans to stand up. It's time to pass the torch, you know. She and, and, and former President H.W. Uh, Bush were, were in their 90, or late 80s, early 90s at the, at the time, and were ready to move on and ready to be, be the grandparents that, that everyone thinks them to be. Talk a little bit about her philanthropy. Uh, obviously, we knew she was involved with literacy and, and, and loved to see children learn and such, but did a lot of stuff without the recognition that a lot of people get when they do such things. Talk about her philanthropy. For sure, 100%. I mean, the literacy, obviously, as you mentioned, at the top of the list. I mean, it, it, they, they've raised billions over the year, billions with a B. I mean, they, they raised 50-some million dollars a year for literacy, and that affects everyone, men, women, child. And when people that can't read start to read, everyone's better because everyone's more productive. But outside of that, this first lady, Barbara Bush, has more schools, hospital wards, libraries, other things named for her than almost any other first lady. And the work that she did specifically in Maine at the um, Barbara Bush Medical Center in Portland is, is almost unprecedented. This woman would spend her birthdays at the hospital reading to children that were ill, reading to children that were recovering, recuperating, some with terminal diseases. Uh, the time she spent there and the, and, and the money that she raised for those children was just remarkable. And, and that was more out of the limelight and, and out of the public eye. It was just doing what was right and doing what was good because she had the means and the platform to do it. And she was good at it. She's good at raising money. She's good at getting people to circle around her. And that's because of that genuine quality, the stuff that I've mentioned before, where White House uh, employees, stewards, pastry chefs, secret service agents, administration people, people that have worked in multiple administrations, all of them, 
hands down say that Barbara Bush was their favorite first lady and the one that they were really sorry to see move out. And that's all politics aside. That's just a good human being. How do you think the loss of her child way back when determined who she became, who she later became? I remember watching um, a, a brief snippet of an interview with Barbara Walters way back when talking about this, probably when the book came out. And uh, even talking about the loss of that child now, she, uh, well, we, we saw her tear up, which you normally never. This, was, this lady was an iron horse. Um, Absolutely. And, and this, you know, Barbara Walters in her way uh, cer- certainly tapped into that emotion. H- how do you think it changed her? Well, I, I cannot imagine personally uh, uh, what it's like to lose a, a daughter. I don't, I don't, I, that's never happened to me. I, I know people where it hasn't something that most people uh, uh, would, would never get over. And, yeah. it, and it's how she got over it. Of course she mourned it. Of course it's something that she carried right to the very end, something that would make her tear up and she and her daughter's well represented in the in the scrapbooks that she has uh, archived at the bush library in in college station but the bushes and especially barbara bush were people that took all life experiences good bad and other and made themselves stronger because of it you know there's a lot of first ladies that lost children more in the 1700s and 1800s of course but in the 1900s first ladies and presidents lost children it did happen and those that, that, that used it to power them on and to be stronger because of it were the ones we remember like Barbara Bush and the ones where it affected their work and affected their presidencies and, and administrations. They, they, they don't fare as well in, in history, and the Bushes were just those kind of people. Uh, do you think, she, well, more popular than her husband and her son? Yeah, you know, and, 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 and a lot of people are saying that, and, it, and it's true. I, I, I think so. But, but historically, these women are always more popular, or right. usually more popular than their husbands. Because keep in mind, this, this job, I'm making air quotes now, it's not really a job. It's, it's just that they're the wife of the president. This is not an elected position. This is not a paid position. Barbara Bush's daughter-in-law, Laura Bush, another first lady, said the role of the first lady is up to the first lady, and she can make it her own. Hmm. There's no first ladies 101. You can't learn how to do this. It's life experience. And when you've got someone with as much life experience as Barbara Bush, it doesn't matter how good her husband is, is because her husband is a policy man. A, 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 the president is a political man. Yeah. He has enemies. There are people across the aisle where Barbara Bush basically had no enemies. So uh, wildly, wildly popular, always polls so high, and, and people think of her as, as a maternal figure or, or a grandmother, very, yeah. very rightfully so. Uh, who do you think was the most popular out of all First Ladies? Can there be a favorite? Can there be a best? Uh, or is that impossible simply because they're all different? Well, it is impossible because they are different. I mean, there's, there's some that, 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 uh, that, that always poll higher than others for their contributions. There are some that, that contributed things that people just didn't know about that should probably poll higher. Uh, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt always polls so high and is always, uh, uh, you know, at the top of the list of people's favorites. And she was the longest sitting first lady. Her husband, FDR, elected to an unprecedented four terms in office, which is now constitutionally illegal. It can't happen and probably never will happen again. But, you know, uh, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy, she gets, uh, you know, wild accolades, rightfully so, for for the work she did uh, uh, restoring the White House and making it a national uh, historic landmark. But Pat, Na- uh, um, 
Yeah, Pat Nixon collected more historical artifacts for the White House collection than any other first lady. But Pat Nixon doesn't get that credit. Uh, Lou Hoover is, is probably one of the most educated and, and, and qualified women to ever be in the White House as first lady or president. But we don't think about Lou Hoover because of the Great Depression. So, you know, picking a favorite, picking a, 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 a best or a greatest is impossible, and so many of these women are, are so far and above men, women, and children of their day, of their time, and the work that they do, being that it is unpaid and unelected, is, is just, just makes it that much more remarkable. Uh, it is a tough job, and like you said, one that they're thrown into. Uh, how do you think Americans view the current First Lady? Um, it's, it's kind of a 50-50, and that's where her poll numbers sit, you know, when when she was uh, first campaigning with her husband, I said uh, she could be the next Jacqueline Kennedy, and, and I got a, a little bit of flack for that. And, and it's just in her style, in her grace, uh, in her international flair, um, typically the first ladies that are most popular are the young and attractive and those with young families. And Melania Trump has all that. You know, she speaks five different languages. She's the second first lady in history, Cat, uh, um, Louisa Catherine Adams being the first and you know that that's that's back in the in the 1800s. So so she's a very unusual first lady that that has that international flair, that has an intelligence, and she has a quiet. She has a very quiet backroom effectiveness, like a Best Truman or a Pat Nixon, or even to a certain extent a Barbara Bush, who's not looking for all the credit, but just looking to use that platform to help people, no matter what. And we never see Melania Trump happier than when she's working with children or helping children or doing something that has an effect on, on the positive lives of, of children. And, you know, the more people see of Melania Trump, the more they like her, the more her poll numbers go up, the more work that she does. So, you know, she, she's easing into a role that it, at first she was probably very uncomfortable with and didn't expect or, or didn't didn't get into her marriage thinking that that's where it would go. Mm. And that describes a lot of first ladies as well. But I think she's doing some good work there, and I think that uh, history will look back fondly on her for it. Andrew Oak has been with us, expert on U.S. first ladies, and author, speaker, award-winning television producer, firstladiesman.com to find out more. Andrew Oak, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Scott, anytime. It's a pleasure to be on with you, sir. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We've had uh, naturists, naturalists on the air before. There's uh, the Ponderosa, which is relatively close here. We've had them on the air before and uh, and chatted and such about the, the lifestyle and what it's all about and trying to uh, make people aware of what's going on. Uh, now... A uh, naturist industry has divided a rural township. Stone Mills Township has denied a commercial rezoning of a naturist campground. There's more to the story than that, though. Let's bring in John Wise, Deputy Reeve, uh, sorry, Deputy Reeve, Township of Stone Mills. He is with us now. John, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Sure. So tell us where Stone Mills is. Uh, Stone Mills would be uh, northwest of Napanee, uh, northeast of, sorry, northeast of Napanee, northwest of Kingston. It's a rural township, uh, about uh, 15 minutes north of the 401. Are you surprised all the attention this is attracting? Nope. Naked people make headlines. Scott. 
<laughs> That's right. If there's nudity... We've got way more interesting issues than this, to tell you the truth, but the media only shows up when there's something salacious. You have more issues than nudity in stone mills? Uh, we had a huge transmission line issue uh, for a large solar project, which uh, filled our council chambers for several meetings in a row. But uh, other than the local media, no one paid attention. And what was the outcome? Uh, we managed to uh, reach a compromise. Uh, it was, you know, people didn't want to look at transmission lines. We got the proponent to bury, bury most of the lines. So it all ended up well. Well, I, you know... And you're in politics. If no one's totally happy, you've probably done a decent job. There you go. All right, so tell the story. What's happening here? Well, this is a, uh, a rural property in a, uh, a farming area, not a prime farming area, pasture farms and so on, and there's also a riding stable nearby. And the, uh, the people on the, the property in question were operating a, a campground sort of under the radar for a few years. Um, and uh, it came to the township's attention when they wanted to hold a special event there called Hyperborea, uh, last year, which is sort of like the Burning Man Festival, if mm-hmm. you're familiar with that. And uh, uh, the local people were concerned about noise and potential nudity, and uh, and that's when the township found out that uh, the camp there had been a campground running illegally there, and we uh, told them if they wanted to continue running their campground, they'd have to rezone it from rural to commercial. Okay. So that was the start. Uh, and then... Uh, we managed to get the, uh, the special event off the site, so that was sort of a separate issue. Um, but the rezoning issue remained. And the main concern was, as, as I saw it, was the riding stable across the road. Um, they have people that board their horses there, come out to take trail rides, bring their kids to do trail rides. Up one side of the proposed campground is an unopened road allowance, mm-hmm. and people would often ride up there. And the owners of the riding stable were concerned, and some of their clients had expressed concern. If we go up riding there with our kids, the kids might see people without their clothes on, and we wouldn't like that. Right. So um, we had a few uh, meetings and, and had submissions from various members of the public. It came to a head last night. Our township has very little industrial and commercial uh, zoning. Uh, we have a huge road network, and it's mostly supported by residential taxes so one of our mandates is to develop uh things like tourism and so on and so forth mm-hmm. uh you know bring more people into the township get a little more tax revenue and so on so i i proposed a motion uh to accept the commercial rezoning for this campground our planners had had also recommended that but i wanted to go farther than the planners went the planners had suggested a six-foot fence some screening some setbacks i said a child riding a horse will be taller than a six-foot fence. Mm. Uh, the, the rezoning should include higher fences, better screening, more setbacks, and be temporary for one year. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be a good middle way, but uh, it lost by a four-to-three vote, so the rezoning was rejected, so uh, the naturist folks uh, don't get a commercial uh, campground. So uh, this was an illegal operation, obviously, before this festival. Were many residents, people complaining about this operation before this festival? Not that I'm aware of. Um, it, it seemed to be the festival last year that, that triggered the complaint, and that was the first that township staff became aware that, that the site of the festival was 
a campground that had been operating uh, illegally for a few years, I think since 2012. So did you know that it was, did the township know that it was a, a naturist park or, or what have you? Did you know that, well, the, that the grounds that, were being used for that at all? That came out in the, uh, when the complaint was made, and uh, it didn't take much research to, uh, to find a Facebook page, and, and, uh, and it promoted itself as a, a naturist campground, that's right. So the, the issue here with the township is that uh, it's, not, it's not zoned to be a campground. It, ha- it would have to be a, a commercial zone, uh, which would mean a, a you know different requirements, mm-hmm. uh, a high, higher taxes, and so on and so forth. But the issue was is also to make sure that it's compatible with the neighbors, and and uh, you know it's a legitimate. It doesn't bother me seeing naked people in the distance, Scott, but I can understand why it might bother a parent with a child trail riding on a horse. Sure, but, so, but I guess my point that I'm making is how come there weren't complaints prior to the festival? I I don't know. Uh, maybe it was operating at a smaller scale. Mm. Uh, maybe there hadn't been an incident. Um, there was a certain amount of, uh, of sort of moral panic uh, that, that just seemed to build and come to a head uh, due to this uh, proposed festival. Was there any incidents or anything uh, happening at the festival that was held the year before, last year? Um, all, all I really heard about was it was kind of loud. Yeah. Uh, the OPP came out. Uh, they didn't lay any charges. Um, uh, I think someone said at one point, and I don't know if, if this was during the festival or last year with a camper, at, not at festival time, someone encountered someone, they said, jogging on this township right-of-way who was naked. There you go. It only uh, takes uh, one. That's, that's one, and that's against <laughs> the criminal code. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can, cannot be naked in public or be seen to be naked on your own property from a public place. So the festival situation has been resolved, correct? It's going forward at a different site? That's right, and, and we made the stipulation that it be 18 and up. And uh, uh, the township has a several hundred acres near a landfill site uh, that's a good kilometer from the nearest residence. It's well off the road, so uh, that will happen uh, at, a, at a remote location. Are you concerned about nudity there? Not overly. Uh, it's not visible from any uh, public road. Um, it's... Uh, you know, it shouldn't shouldn't bother anyone. I think they'd be nuts to be naked, though. It's it's at the height of black fly season. <laughs> Not to mention Lyme disease carrying ticks, mosquitoes. Yeah, but they stick the clothing. Well, I guess who yeah. knows, right? Yeah. That's um, right. So, uh, so as far as the future of the campground, it's it looks like it's it's over for the campground. They uh, have. I not- believe they're going to appeal to uh, whatever the successor uh, to the Ontario Municipal Board is is being called. Right. Uh, but that's what that's what I've heard. I don't know if that will in fact go ahead. So, uh, what's your city doing with all or your township doing with all the attention? Uh, talking to people like you. So it must be good for you because you you voted for this. You thought that it would be a good idea for tourism. Well, I, I thought it it. it it could be, you know, if people come and see what a beautiful area this is, and I know everybody says that, but it really is. It's kind of a hidden jewel. A uh, lot of lakes, two beautiful rivers, the Salmon and the Napanee. People come to a, a campground or a festival, maybe they might want to retire to this area, you know, that kind of thing. We don't have, we don't have any service land to offer as industrial base. Uh, we don't have many areas that, that we, can, we can develop our township. And, and this would be in keeping with the rural atmosphere in the township. It, it wouldn't require a great deal of construction. It wouldn't disturb the environment. It would bring people here, and it would create a little business for the folks involved. It was a compatibility issue. Where do you think this is going, John? It 
depends on whether they appeal or not, Scott. If they don't appeal, it's dead. Yeah. You're expecting that they will, though, correct? I've heard that they are planning to appeal. Uh, maybe when they find out what that costs, it might deter them. I really don't know. And I don't know what the basis of the appeal would be. If people want to find out more about the township of Stone Mills, where should, where should we go? Is there a website or anything? There is. Uh, just Google Stone Mills Township, and uh, there, our website will come up. And there's more to it than just nudity, says John Wise, Deputy <laughs> Brief. There's, there's a heck of a lot more to this place <laughs> than nudity. <laughs> John, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck with all this. Well, thank you for a very thorough interview. There's there, been a, a lot of uh, salacious reporting on this. Thanks very much. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.